Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona. We are uh, coming together here in way of a service um, on the 24th of May, 2020. And uh, this is broadcast and will be available on TalkShoe, uh, hopefully. Uh, that's our plans, at least. But we hope everyone, everything is well with you and everyone is well. Uh, it's a, really a beautiful day, and we are happy to be here, uh, the group that we have. As uh, Brother Greg has given us in our uh, bulletin here this morning, rem reminding us that tomorrow is Memorial Day, and... Um, we do remember, of course, those that gave the ultimate price for our freedom. And we continue to celebrate this year by year in way of remembrance. Today, um, I'd like to share with you from Psalm, um, well, I was going to say 146. I, I, I will share that same uh, verse the scripture reading, Psalm 146, 5 and 6. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. The word of God. As read by the Jewish people many, many years ago, and we can certainly say amen to that. Today, uh, as we have been continuing to do here these many weeks, uh, we are going to have our uh, time of communion, uh, communion the Lord's Supper, uh, and we'll have a meditation, and then our time of, of communion, and then we will rejoin you uh, after that for the morning lesson, if you will, which is our continued um, study in Corinthians. And we, we offer this time, if you want to partake in your communion at this time, you can certainly do so, although that is uh, up to you. So we will uh, ask now if uh, Nolan would uh, bring us a meditation this morning. Morning, everyone. To all of you out there who can hear my voice. I'd first like to, to thank my son Alex for the many weeks and the weeks that my wife and I uh, were not in the assembly here and huddled together alone in, uh, in, our, in our home. And I'll never forget the feeling that I had listening to the voice of my son over the airwaves reading God's word and he seems so far away but yet so close <clears throat> I'm hoping that this message reaches all of you and that you're healthy feeling well and that your spirits are up but we can use the word and especially at this time when we remember the sacrifice of our Savior to encourage ourselves bolster ourselves and redirect our minds and our hearts to the work of spreading God's word. 
I'm simply going to read this verse from Philippians. Hopefully you can meditate upon the words as I read them. I'm not going to stop to explain anything. I'm going to let Paul, as he was writing in this letter to the church in Philippi, simply going to let Paul raise your spirits and your hearts and your direction and your focus today. Philippians, the third chapter, verse 17. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. And I will stop here. I told a fib. The us means the apostles, the other apostles. For many live as enemies of the cross. And as I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears, their end is destruction. Their God is the belly, and their glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and it is from there that we are expecting a savior the Lord Jesus Christ he will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself the word of God We are back with you. 
um, after our time of communion. Thank you for the meditation and pray all were thinking on these things, which uh, leads us into the lesson, if you will, uh, from Corinthians has a lot to do with the communion service, um, especially the last part of the uh, of the scripture we read this morning. From 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we've spent a couple weeks on the uh, the idea of headship and and uh, that sort of thing, but we are continuing now to look at some things that um, that the Apostle Paul is not pleased with. In other words, the actions of the brethren in Corinth, especially concerning the Lord's Supper. Um, some of the problems led up to issues within the Lord's Supper. It seems that their worldly ways had clouded the Lord's very distinct command of, uh, in regards to this supper, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, that was the, that's the context. That's what we do during the time of communion. We do them, we do the things that we do. We partake of the uh, emblems representing his body and his blood in remembrance of him, in memorial of him, in thankfulness for the great gift that was given us. By the way, that that phraseology of uh, do this in remembrance of me, you can find in Luke 22, 19. And in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, we have the idea of the communion most clearly given in the scriptures, referred to in other places, but within this chapter, we find a very uh, descriptive nature of the communion that I think is a good part of this lesson. <clears throat> now, one thing that I must say concerning communion and how we think about it, our service, our communion service, the Lord's Supper, that we hold today in the Lord's Church. There's a couple of points. You know, it does us and anyone partaking in, of the communion little good to take of the emblems of this memorial feast that is in the remembrance of the Lord, if that one knows little of the reason why Jesus of Nazareth went to the cross of Calvary to pay the penalty for the sins of men. You see, we need to know the condition of men before the cross and the issues that put Jesus of Nazareth on that cross to have a real appreciation of why we memorialize his death. And also, if one is unaware of the work of the Christ after the cross, after the payment for sin, the glory that is his, that is Jesus, as to be, as to his obeying his Father in heaven, and to redeem mankind through his blood, removing the barrier between men and the kingdom of God. For God has made him, this Jesus of Nazareth, 
whom the Jews did crucify, both Lord and Christ. And that's Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Those are the words of the Apostle Peter um, at that time. Defining exactly who Jesus of Nazareth was to the Jewish people. I believe the message went, went out quite convincingly to that group. Now please notice uh, that the... Um, I think we should just take note of the fact that the Assemblies of Christ should know of, of these things, all these things, I guess, that are recorded in Scripture concerning the Savior as we gather around His table in our midst. And you know, when I say all these things, we have to understand no one understands the depth of all of these things or even remembers all of these things all at one time. So this isn't a personal attack. This is, this is an idea of your attitude during the time of communion. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a personal thing your communion with the Lord himself at this time. And that takes uh, a considerable amount of, um, of training, if you will. So really, it should be nearly all these things. We want to know everything, but we never really do. But as we go on in this lesson, we're going to read and learn. The ways of the uh, the ways of Christ, as taught by the Apostle Paul, and he's talking, of course, to the brethren in Corinth in about AD 57. But you know, most of these things are uh, pretty well uh, in tune for us today. And as I read these first few verses, I want you to realize that. Uh, as I've entitled this first idea, that these things should not be. These are things that are really a problem for uh, the assembly and should not be happening. And that's why he starts off in verse 17 through 22. And this declaring, I give no praise, because not for the better, but for the worse you come together. For first, indeed, you come together in an assembly. And I hear divisions being among you. And partly, I believe it. For it behooveth sex also to be among you, that those approved may be become manifest among you. You then, coming together at the same place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For each his own supper doth take before in the eating, and one is hungry and another is drunk. Why have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or the assembly of God do you despise and shame those not having? What may I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise. So let's talk about what he said. The Apostle is making clear here in a declaration, as he stated, his lack of praise. He's not pleased with them concerning their actions. 
that have happened within the assembly when they came and gathered together. To the extent, and this is... (laughs) This is a very major statement. To the extent that it would have been better for them to not even have come together in the assembly, but to have these things happen the way they did. Divisions, it seems, can lead to bad practices. And when they came together, this is kind of the list that he gives. There were divisions among them. And Paul apparently believes most things that have been reported concerning these divisions. I don't think he believed everything or understood all things to be divisive. But most things he did hold as um, uh, a division. And because of that, uh, destructive to the the group. It is necessary... And this is an uh, important part of this passage that mostly is overlooked. It is necessary. See, that's what it means, behooves. It's not a word we normally use in our vernacular today. But it, uh, something, when something behooves it, it, it behooves a situation, it means it's necessary for them. It's a necessity for them to move a, a forward in a positive way. It's necessary for the sex. That is the different teaching within the group that Paul has spent so much time on in this letter. It's necessary that they are within the assembly so that they can clearly see and hear those men and their true words that are indeed approved by the Lord. And of course, his holy apostles. That's quite a thing, isn't it? You know, I think this teaching uh, makes it very clear that church splits, even under over doctrinal issues, is not really the will of the Lord, and it certainly isn't the will of the apostle here. In other words, these things need to be resolved. And can be. I've met and, and known older Christian men my whole life. And to a man, the one thing that seems to be an issue within the assemblies is that people won't talk to each other in a loving way. In other words, the brethren need to talk about their issues, their different ways of understanding or whatever it might be in a loving way you know deferring to one one to the other and you know here's the the thing about it the word of god will make this clear if we do so in in the right attitude the right attitude i haven't seen all things resolved this way but i've seen a number of things resolved and i think the apostle is very clear here and if you're any uh, follower of uh, the what actually happens in church splits, uh, I, I, I don't see much positive coming. Uh, most people think that uh, one side was right and the other wrong. It's been my observation that they both shared wrong and right. They were just meeting in a different place after that. 
So this is a situation. We need to be able to talk about these things within the framework of the assembly. Now there are some priorities in the assembly. Uh, in other words, priorities or proper attitude within the house of God or amongst the gathering, if you will. We're to gather in love and fellowship. We're to defer to one, one to the other out of love of the Lord. That's the scripture teaching us that. Together, at one time, we eat of the Lord's Supper. Together, you see. Not letting anything else interfere. We're, and we're remembering the Lord Jesus at that time in his death. The idea here, apparently what was happening, uh, the restriction is don't combine your normal meals uh, that you typically would eat at home with the Lord's Supper. And apparently that's what was happening. Here's the thing though, not everybody had food to bring. Alright? And some were eating way too much and drinking way too much, apparently. This was not the the time they had mixed these things to their to their destruction, basically. That's that's why Paul is making this so clear. If you do this, apparently, the outcome of it was uh, unloving actions, gluttony, drunkenness, improprieties towards the Lord, and also the the fact that it brings shame upon the assemblies of Christ. And upon the love feast in his honor. That's the uh, Lord's Supper. So I will say again, these things should not be. It's very clear the things that should not be. And um, here's the thing though. Here's why the teaching is good. After this chastisement, after this um, being made very clear, the things that have been happening and should not happen, he tells them exactly what should happen and how they should approach it and look at it. And, and we see that starting in verse 23, just following this. And he starts it with the four I. And let's follow this real close here. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, I received from the Lord that which also I did deliver to you that the Lord Jesus and the night in which he was delivered up took pray, uh, took bread let's read on and having given thanks he break and said take ye eat ye this is my body that for you is being broken this do ye to the remembrance of me in like manner, also, the cup after supping said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do ye as oft as you may drink it to the remembrance of me. In verse 26, For as often as you may eat this bread and this cup may be drank, the death of the Lord you shall show forth till... He may come. Well, I think it's important for us to understand a couple things here from the Apostle. Paul, as you'll remember, if you've ever seen the uh, painting that we call The Last Supper, 
you see the apostles sitting around Jesus there. Um, uh, the rendering of it uh, not being accurate of course but nonetheless the idea of it you're going to find that Saul of Tarsus was not there that day we know that he came came to the faith uh, sometime later and this was the Passover meal um, but he wasn't there for it but Jesus and his apostles were so when he says, I receive from the Lord, he's talking about communication from the Lord to him as an apostle of exactly what he said at that time. I think that's important. In other words, Paul didn't uh, repeat what he had heard from, uh, from uh, Peter, John, and James. You, you, you get the point here. He's not speaking as an evangelist as I would, but he's speaking as the apostle of Christ. And the fact that he had delivered those words to the assembly that he's writing to before they knew these things. You know, if they hadn't known the proper attitude to have during this time and the proper way to do it, then he wouldn't have been probably so angry with them. But he was, and he was very forceful. Also, we notice the bread and the cup are taken in the remembrance of Jesus the Christ. In other words, his death, the death that he died to the remittance of sin. And then the phrase, till he may come. Now we have to think about the time frame here. We teach that Jesus came at the end of the Jewish age. Well, that would have applied to those living beforehand that had died beforehand even. But when it comes to the assembly, this is an idea of uh, we continue to remember his death until we are in his presence. Now many are in his presence at this time and uh, that, that's a reality for them now. But as far as I'm concerned, I am not in his presence yet in that way. That I have to um, remember, I have, would have the realization. You know, like uh, Romans chapter 8 speaks about the idea of hope. Well, if you have something, you're not hoping for it any longer. All right, when we're alive... Uh, when we are um, uh, gone from these bodies in, in the presence of God and the Lamb, uh, we shall no more have to remember in this way. But in this world, in this physical world, this is how I believe we should continue to remember, for it was given to us to do just that. And there's lots of thinking that could go into this. I would suggest you read uh, Hebrews chapter 9, all of it, and get a real another context about this relationship that we have, especially towards the end of the chapter that we don't have time for today. Now at the end of this chapter, the end verses, we're going to find what I call the qualifications to partake 
of the emblems of the Lord's table. Because those emblems represent the body and blood of Christ. They represent what the, God's promise was fulfilled on the, in the cross or on the cross through his son Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. To literally crush the head of Satan when it came to the idea of sin separating man from God. Now there was a remedy through the blood of Christ. These are things we should remember at that time. It's the biggest it's the biggest event, it's the biggest thing that ever happened to mankind. And that's why it's remembered. And that's why we need to go into that time or have an understanding of that time that really represents the, the truth. Now we're going to look at these last verses, 27 through 34. And there are a lot of ways unusual things, but very powerful words. And we're to take them to heart. So the apostle writes to him, he says, So that whoever may eat this bread or may drink the cup of the Lord unworthily, guilty he shall be of the body and blood of the Lord. And let a man be, be proving himself. And so of the bread let him eat, and of the cup let him drink. For he who is eating and drinking unworthily, judgment to himself he doth eat and drink, not discerning the body of the Lord. Because of this, among you many are weak and sickly, and sleep do many. For if ourselves we were discerning, we would not be being judged. And being judged by the Lord, we are chastened, that without the world we may not be condemned. So then, my brethren, coming together to eat, for one another wait ye. And if anyone is hungry, at home let him eat. And to the judgment you may not come together. And the rest, whatever I may come, I shall arrange. Now those are the concluding words. This idea of unworthiness as you come to the table. What does it mean to you? Well, I've tried to talk about this, about the idea of not really knowing anything that you're doing. Uh, now, when we're young, we don't have the awareness of all of the things, and I don't believe that's what we're talking about. We, we will mature in our thinking through the years. But I'm, I'm talking about more the, I think the un, unworthiness here is the idea of the rote method of having communion where it's something that happens uh, sometime between 11.23 and 11.26 a.m. You know, where it's boom, 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 and that's it. That's, that's rote. That, that's where you, you just go into a, uh, the mode of now it's time to um, sit down and take of the emblems or whatever, however it may be accomplished. 
That's a problem. Because we're not thinking about the cost of our salvation. We're not thinking about what God has done through His Son. And have you ever find your mind wandering just a little during communion? Well, it, I think it happens to everyone. But we can center ourselves back. Consider these, these powerful images that the Apostle writes. And the warnings that he gives us. Let a man prove himself, basically. Proving himself. In other words, you're not judged by a council of folks whether or not you're worthy of communion or not this week. By the way, that's a common practice in some places. Not scriptural. How could a council of men know anything that you're thinking? How can you prove yourself to them? How would they know you're telling the truth or not? I know that I, I've never, I was never more shocked in this building than when I saw Guy Humphreys refuse communion one time. Mm-hmm. That was mind blowing to me. I was just a pretty young kid, <laughs> and did so because of the the attitude he held at that moment. Right. So these things are weighty matters. But we are to prove ourselves, test ourselves. You must be aware of the Lord's work and and you must love him. You must have some training in this to to come to this point. It's not a light matter. And then right after that is said is the encouragement to eat and drink, you know. Let him, after he has done this, examined himself, let him eat and drink then. And take that time of communion. And that time of fellowship with heaven, if you will, through the emblems. But eating and drinking in verse 29, in an unworthy manner, brings judgment from the Lord. You know, it's... uh, it's a weighty thing. Because in that day, and, and I should we extrapolate that to our day? Well, you need to make that decision for yourself. But, but the apostle is talking about the communion here and un, being unworthy, in an unworthy manner even, that the Lord will judge that person. And what are some of the judgments that are obvious? Some are weak. Sick is another word for weak in the uh, vernacular of our, our English language. Thus, even many are dying. Or, as it's used, the word sleep here. All of this because of an unworthy manner of a person in the communion. Should these things not be known as we're teaching those coming up in the faith as to the nature of the communion, the time of communion? I believe we should. To, do, to not do this is, is uh, um, completely letting down what the Lord requires of us. Then at verse 33, So then, come together to eat, 
waiting on one another. Can you can you picture that in your mind? Does that make a word picture to you? I mean that that's the how we that's how we distribute. That's how we should partake of it um, in a way where we are waiting on one another with these emblems and and this time because this brings honor to the Lord and sets in motion and the real priority and, and the real attitude towards this time that we share together. Some would say, well, why is he criticizing him so bad? But here's the thing. If things are going wrong, if things are being done to disrupt this time, and if the fact that the outcome would be that the brethren are going to become sick, ill, and even die because of this affront. Should we not take it serious? The last verse, Paul warns the brethren to follow these instructions precisely. Um, The idea of not bringing your meal to mix it into the, the time of communion or the agape feast as they used to call it. Um, because he doesn't want the Lord's judgment to come upon them. Ye may not come together the rest. Alright. I'm when I look at these verses, um, I just see that he's trying to bring it all together in a way that they can think about it instead of being so uh, disorganized at this time. You know, I don't, I don't believe they were, would have ever not taken of the emblems and not said something or appreciated, but they just were not, they did not have things in proper order uh, in the assembly. And by the way, it's the... Um, it's those that are responsible for the assembly that are to keep these things in order as the scripture teaches as the apostles taught why did they have elders in every church to keep order within the fellowship they were responsible the elders responsible to the Lord for that assembly for the order for things being done in a way that brings glory and honor to the father and his son I like how he ends this, the rest. In other words, I think there was even a few more things to talk about. The rest, whatever that rest is. He's going to come and he's going to talk about it. He's going to make some arrangements concerning (laughs) the rest. And I don't think he wanted to mix the rest in with what he had just said because it is so incredibly important. But to the rest, when, when he may come, um, he'll take care of those things. Paul has more to say. Reading, of course he... Huh? Reading somebody else's mail here. We're reading somebody else's mail. I don't know what the rest uh, might not pertain to us, but we're not, we're not seeing it anyway. But, you know, we do have a few more uh, words that Paul writes in this letter. We're only at chapter 12 now as we start. So we got a ways to go. A good ways to go. So I hope those words will be useful to you in this teaching. 
from the Apostle Paul concerning communion. And, you know, we hear these things many times, um, and we, then we hear them again a few years later, and I, I suppose that's really what we need, uh, is to hear them uh, a number of times. I believe the Apostle Peter makes it clear that um, repeating what he's already taught is something that he's going to continue to practice. Uh, he doesn't think that there's anything wrong with it. And, you know, some of us today have been Christians many years more than the people we read about in the church in Corinth, for sure. So we've heard these things probably more often than they at that time. Well, consider that, if you, if you will. You know, we shouldn't be having any real issues concerning this. But we need, to, we need to hear about it, put it clear in our mind, and then move on. And as we move into chapter 12 and uh, 13 and 14, we're going to find that we're moving on into a little different subject matter, uh, which is also very important for us to know all about today what, they were, what was occurring in their day that we can... Uh, get a good look at what all of this might mean to us right now. So with that, let us have our closing prayer, and we will be dismissed until we meet again. We thank you, Father, for the beauty of this day. And pray, Father, that your word, as it takes root in our heart, in our mind, will become who we are, that we may bring glory to your name and to our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray this day. Amen.